Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Mental Golf Show. As always, I'm your host, Josh Nichols. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be discussing ways that we can improve during the off-season. We're going to be covering actual exercises and practices I will be doing during my off-season, and I'll be prescribing to my mental coaching players also these same exercises uh, that you can and should also be doing. So stay till the end to hear my personal favorite one. We've got a lot of good stuff to cover, so let's get right into it. The thing that makes the off-season different from the on-season is mostly the weather. This podcast is heard all over the world, so it's hard to give a prescription to everyone that is hearing this. Some of you will be able to play in shorts and short sleeve shirts the entire year. I'm very jealous of you. But in addition to the weather, having an off-season, a time where you aren't expected to perform in tournaments and instead only prepare for them, is valuable and healthy. But with weather being the most prominent reason most of us have an off-season at all, that means that we can do fewer things outside, naturally, and making use of indoor facilities becomes our primary tool. So, with the weather in mind, along with the naturally healthy time to rebuild your game, let's build a rough outline of a plan for your off-season. If I was designing an off-season plan for a player, which I have, I would have three categories of improvement that we would try to tackle. Fitness, skill, and mental. And now, a lot of this is very specific to every player, so what you do within each category, it'll be up to you to determine, either with your instructor or with a trainer, using a fitness program, etc. As I've said before, surrounding yourself with experts is almost always a good plan. But, as I usually do, I will use myself as the test case in this example, and hopefully it'll give you an idea of how you can also plan for this offseason. So within each of these categories of fitness, golf skill, and mental game, there are also needs to be a past, present, and future element to all of them. First, I must look at the past for how I did in this category this past season, or how I generally do in the past, where I'm at now, and where I want to be for spring of next season. So let's start working through this progression for the fitness category. Let's start with fitness. This past season started pretty well in the area of fitness. I was working at about three times a week, kind of doing a self-prescribed plan of weight training, along with like regular brisk two-plus mile walks around our neighborhood uh, and the kind of the surrounding area uh, with Kayla and our dog. But the critique I would make to that time early in the year was that the self-driven nature of it lent to a lot of inconsistency and it lacked a structured plan of where I wanted to go. This also meant that I wasn't pushing myself as hard as I needed to. A major factor in this was that I was using some gym equipment that I had just kind of scrounged up and I didn't really have enough to truly challenge myself in the amount of weight I was using. And now I'm sure I could have made do with what I had uh, and still have, but I just don't, I don't want to just make do. To skip to the future part of the fitness, I want to get much stronger and therefore be able to swing much faster. And I want to be able to walk 18 holes without any sort of fatigue. These are kind of my goals. This past season, I didn't really walk 18 much, but when I did, it drained me. In fact, I have almost always, for as long as I can remember, like I always kind of get tired around the 14th or 15th hole. 
This means that I have always given shots away on those last four or five holes, and, I've, and I always give those less than my best, both physically and mentally. I want to be completely fresh for every shot of every round to the very end of the round. And that starts with simply having energy on every shot. Now, the best way for me to tackle this energy goal is with leg strength. That's, that's a self-prescribed thing, but I know it to be true. I know myself. I know how my legs can get towards the end of a round. I need better leg strength and endurance to be able to have energy to think well and swing well during four to five holes of walking. So leg strength needs to be a major part of my plan. I also need to be able to have the general strength to be able to hold swing positions throughout an entire round. If my muscles are weak and stiff, then my swing will falter when I need it to be at its best, especially towards the end of the round. In my experience, that rests on the strength of the shoulders and the back. Again, self-prescribed. I don't really know. I don't have someone telling me that, but I, I have a good idea of myself. And you need to have a good idea of yourself. Like I've got legs, shoulders, and back as kind of a self-prescribed thing, but you need to know for yourself. This also brings up a situation I have recently run into. After playing for a week in Nantucket at the U.S. Mid-Amateur, as detailed in a previous episode, I took a few days off, and then I played 18 more holes in like a little scramble thing, and that round killed my back. I was having back spasms for about a week after that. I had to take like a couple weeks without swinging any. So my back needs to be able to handle that kind of strain of swinging that much. And I, I need to be able to handle that. I need to be able to take a few days off and still be strong and flexible enough to be able to pick it back up the next day without worrying of injury or having to back spasms for two weeks. So my goal is to increase the strength and endurance of my legs, increase the strength of my back and shoulders, and also increase my general flexibility. Now, how will I do this? I could keep doing things how I've been doing them by grabbing a few good exercises and using the weights I have at home and just meagerly going about my workouts, hoping that it will somehow be good enough. Or I could increase the quality of everything I'm doing by making use of real gym equipment and employing the use of a fitness expert. I've already put in a handful of workouts with the Fit for Golf app by Mike Carroll as a way of planning my exercises, giving myself structure, and pushing myself beyond what I would do alone. I've already seen the clear benefits of this structure and actual good golf exercises. From what I know, from following and communicating with Mike on Twitter, as well as what I've seen of the fitness plans he has on the app, I will be fully committed to the Fit for Golf, Fit for the to the Fit for Golf app for this offseason. And I highly recommend it to everyone out there listening. Fit for Golf isn't paying me to say this, I promise. Uh, although, Mike, if you're listening, we can talk. But no, I really see the value in this. And to top that, I will also ha- have access to the gym at Precision Golf School, where I I work part of my job, and I also do mental coaching there. And this will give me a much better equipment that won't limit me the way that I was. And now along with this, I will continue to do lots of brisk walks with Kayla and the dog. As Mike Carroll makes clear, the fit for golf guy, walking is great training for golf, and it also happens to be very enjoyable. 
And I also, in, in the case of nutrition, I have a plan to make better nutritional choices. My regular MO is to eat and drink whatever I want. If I simply think things through, though, instead of just going through the motions, I will make better food and drink decisions, and my body will be much better for it. More protein and veggies, less takeout, and drinking calories. Again, advice from Mike Carroll that is simple and helpful. So, this has my fitness category pretty well covered. If I can do all these things, it'll put me in a good position come spring to be in much better condition than I was this past year. And if nothing else, I will be a healthier, happier person, and I'll be able to look in the mirror and see the the benefits, and I'll feel better mentally and physically, regardless of golf. But this is about golf, so let's get into the golf skill category. This category is what most people think of when they think about using the offseason to rebuild their game for the next season. As one player I played with in a tournament recently said, this offseason, I want to get back to solid fundamentals. This is well said because during the, during the spring, summer, and fall, you're playing uh, a lot with a lot of focus on performance and much less focus on building skill. Over that time, your skill can take some steps, steps backward because you're not really focused on increasing your skill. You're focus on, focusing on using your skill. So the offseason is a great time to take those steps forward and build your game back to solid. Kind of those fundamentals. Build, those, build that foundation back up so that you can use it throughout the season. Now, for me personally... And again, this is very personal. It's less about revamping my technique. Like for you, it might be really changing something in your technique, finally getting the time, the four or five months to really change something dramatic in your technique. For me, it's less about this total revamp in order to make up for what I've worn away at through the season. It's more about simply working on something, just working, just in general, working on my game, hitting balls, and drilling in the technique that I and my instructor, instructor Robert Limville, have landed on. Just putting in work on what we've already talked about. It's really about simply putting in time. Now to look at the past, as I learned from this season, my game is good when I put quality time into it. Like uh, in the months leading up to Nantucket, the U.S. Mid Amateur, I wasn't able to put that much time in, but... The time before that, when I was practicing a lot, I really saw the benefits. When I was actually putting time and quality time into my game, it showed, clearly showed. And it it showed so much that it held over into the U.S. Mid Amateur, and I was able to play well and access some of that skill. So my game is good when I put quality time into it, and I would venture to say everyone's game is good when you put quality time into it. So that is where my priority needs to be, just simply more quality time. Now, how will I do this? Just like I will have access to Precision Golf School's gym, I will also have access to their hitting bays, driving range, and short game area. I, I, it's awesome that I have this. It's a privilege and, and a blessing that I can use their stuff. I won't abuse it because I'm, you know, I'm an employee. I'm not... I'm not paying for access to these areas, but I do have access to them, and it's awesome. I plan on being there about three days a week throughout the whole the whole winter. So if I if I can put in three days of quality work on my game, just 
more than I have been, I will be in much better shape than I am now heading into the winter. In fact, as well as I played in the U.S. Mid-Am, as you know from my recap episode about it, I wasn't even that prepared for it, as I said. I was going off just some kind of raw skill and good mindset and some, some holdover from what practice I did have. So, with some good time put into my game during this offseason, I will be able to emerge from the other side a much better player. Now, I want to do a more thorough episode on the details of an actual practice plan in a future episode, but what I can tell you about the quality part of my quality time that I plan on putting in, my time will need to meet all of these expectations. There's a lot here, so listen up. My time needs to be planned, focused, intentional, boring, difficult, variable, challenging, measured, gratification delaying, feedback producing, and patience stretching. Now, I realize this is a lot, and it's not like every practice needs to like perfectly check all of these boxes, but that's why I plan my practices ahead of time. I know myself. If I just show up and do what I feel, it may check one or two of those boxes. It might be a little bit difficult. Uh, I might... I might try to get into some kind of focused zone, but it won't check all of these boxes. It won't be, it probably won't be intentional because I'm not planning. It probably won't be boring because I'm, I'm just doing what I feel like. It won't be that difficult because I'm not stretching my ability. It's kind of, it's a lot like my workout situation. If it's uh, having, having an expert tell me what to do, helps me check all these boxes. If I just show up and work out what I want, I'll do some bench presses and biceps and like the things I want to do that I feel like make me look better or feel better about myself. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's making me better and making me stronger. So planning ahead, having an expert plan, that's how you can check all these boxes, and that's how you're actually going to make yourself better over time, so you're not just going through the motions. Now, uh, without going into all the crazy detail of a practice plan, a really good way to start with this is breaking up your practice time by priority. Now, a very general measure of your practice time should be this. Within every category of your game, like driving, approach, short game, and putting, those are the four categories of your game, your time should be 60% block practice, 20% random practice, and 20% challenge practice. Block practice, let's let's define these. I, I can just say those, but let's define them. Block practice is defined as working on any part of your game, whether it's technique or just repetition, over and over without much variation from shot to shot. Now, this could also be called rake and hit, where you're standing in one position with an alignment rod or or whatever. With one club, one target, you're just raking a ball, working on your swing, and hitting over and over and over. 15 eight irons in a row, 15 five irons in a row, just working on your technique over and over. That's block practice. Now, random practice is defined as picking a new target, new club, new shot type, new distance between every shot, and going through your full routine on every shot. Think of this like playing through a round of golf, but on the range. 
or in short game practice, having one ball and tossing it into random lies and hitting to random hole locations. This is, this is a good way to compartmentalize from the block practice where you're going in the far opposite direction and saying, I'm purely practicing like I'm on the course. I'm not thinking about technique. I'm just going through routine in a very random, you know, target, club, shot type, type of way and really challenging myself to, to be swinging like I am on the course. Because in block practice... When you hit 15 drivers in a row, that is nothing like a, the golf course. It's good to be able to access that skill, or I'm sorry, it's good to be able to acquire that skill using block practice. You're you're working on actually gaining new skill, but to actually practice like you're on the course, you need to be able to go from a driver to a pitching wedge, not from a driver to a driver. It's a totally different it's just night and day difference going from driver to driver and driver to pitching wedge. It's a totally different club, different weight, different swing, different everything. So it's a skill in and of itself to be able to go from a driver to a pitching wedge. That transition is a skill. So you have to practice that transition. You have to practice to be able to do it on the course. And now, so that's block practice and random practice. Now we have challenge practice. Challenge practice is giving yourself a measurable challenge, doing the challenge, and writing down your score for the challenge, going through your full routine every shot. This is where having an external source of coaching helps. This is the equivalent, this is the practice equivalent to, um, you know, having a workout plan. The, the purpose here is in the name. It is supposed to challenge you and help you measure your progress in that area. So, uh, like I said, I want to get into more detail later. Uh, and actually, we're going to go through exactly what I will do to, um, to, to, do, to challenge myself with this. But having this, having this delineation, having, this, having these uh, time, time breakups within your driving approach, short game and putting is so important because just the very fact of flipping off and on different switches in your brain can help you when you're out on the course. So block practice, you've got technique switch flipped fully on. I'm I'm thinking about technique. I'm, I'm trying to fix my swing. I'm trying to gain the skill of being able to hit a certain type of thing. I'm, I'm trying to build my skill. And then you're flipping that off and doing random clubs all over the place. And then you're flipping that off and saying, okay, now let's access my skill and use it to perform a certain task. So all of these things with block practice still being the highest priority, you need to build that skill. You need to have a certain base level of skill to be able to even do anything. Having this broken up is is training the different parts of your brain the you know the rote block over and over part of your game part of your brain the random part of your brain and the um kind of artistic part of your brain and the you know accessing your skill part of your brain it's it's challenging all of this and that a good practice session challenges you in a holistic way 
So for for us all to get the most out of our time and improve the technical category, the golf skill category of our off-season training, we must make the most of our time by planning ahead and making it high quality. And breaking up your time in these percentages will go a long way towards that. Just just starting with this, starting with the 60-20-20 block random challenge is a great way to start. And there's a lot more detail we, we could get into, but that's a great start. I used this type of structure back when I was playing my best and when I was practicing the most. And I was practicing 8 to 10 hours a day. I would have these you know, 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. type of days, and I would do this. Otherwise, I'm just going to go through the motions and wear myself out, not really doing anything. And I've also helped some of my mental coaching players design practice plans, and it always helps. Every player has said, planning my time in this way is extremely helpful because we all have a tendency to just go through the motions and and not really have a purpose for what we're doing. We think we know what we're doing, but actually planning ahead can can go miles for how quality your time actually is. So we've made a plan for the fitness category and the golf skill category. Now for the mental category. It's the mental golf show. That's why we're here. How can we plan to improve our mental games over the offseason? So just like we've done for fitness and technique, we need to look at our past for how we need to improve and look at our future for what goal we want to reach and then take inventory of where we are currently to know how we need to improve. So for me this past season, I felt like I had a good awareness of what my mind was doing during a round, but I wasn't great at directing my mind where I wanted it to go. It was difficult for me to allow thoughts to come and go and shift my attention back to where I wanted it to be. I feel like I lacked a strong, attentive mind. My mind would wander, and I would have a hard time having conscious control over my attention. It felt a lot like a muscle that was weaker than it needed to be to lift the mental weight that I needed to lift. So that tells me that I need to make my mind stronger. A specific example was something I detailed in the episode about the U.S. Mid-Amateur Recap. I know I'm referring to that a lot. I, I liked that episode a lot. It was, it was very personal to me. It was, a, it was a great example of a lot of things that I learned. My mental goal for that week was to have a quiet mind over every shot. It was a great goal, and when I was actually able to have a quiet mind, I would hit better shots. It was very binary. Good, good mental game, quieter mind better shot. Bad mental game, noisy mind, usually a bad shot. Almost always. It's not always that way, but it was for this tournament. But there was just too many shots where I was distracted from that thought, thinking of something unhelpful or just having lots of noise in my mind. Ideally, I would have noticed the thoughts that were barraging my mind, and I would let them gently pass on. But I had done so little practicing to even expect myself to be able to do this. So as the pressure of the tournament intensified, as I moved through stroke play, through the round of 64, into the round of 32, my ability to have a quiet mind got even worse. Because as we know, pressure causes a drop in skill for every player, no matter how good you are. So my mental skill took a pretty strong dip as I got deeper into the tournament. 
And what I haven't mentioned is I also played the North Carolina State Mid-Amateur. So I I played the U.S. Mid-Amateur a few weeks ago, but before that I played the North Carolina State Mid-Amateur. So it was like back-to-back mid-ams. The reason why I set having a quiet mind as my goal for the U.S. Mid-Am was because of my mental struggles in the State Mid-Am. My mind was all over the place in that tournament with no clear plan or thinking process. I I didn't even come up with the I need to have a quiet mind until after the state mid-am for the U.S. mid-am. So I was only able to get a decent frame of mind by the U.S. mid-am because I had the run-up tournament. That's not an ideal method of preparation. So this offseason, I want to properly prepare my mind for being able to handle unwanted thoughts and be able to let them pass on without much effort. I want to be able to play a tournament and and be distracted. Distraction, distractions will always come in, but I want to be able to handle them and notice them and let them move on. That's what I want to do. So how will I do this? And how can you do this, more importantly? Over my two and a half years of mental coaching, as well as the six years after college before I started coaching, when I was working hard to improve my game to try to turn pro, I've learned that there are two practices that really work this mental muscle. One is a mental game exercise that we can do on the range. Talk about challenge practice. That, this, that will be really good for your challenge practice, so you're going to want to do that. And you can also you can do it on the range, the chipping green, and the putting green. It's a really good mental game exercise that you're going to hear. And the other exercise is, you may have guessed it, meditation. I think both of these forms of mental workouts are things most golfers don't do at all, let alone let let alone often enough to see any benefits. So let's talk about meditation first before we get into the mental game exercise. Meditation hits very close to what I was describing I needed during my tournaments. But I believe that meditation is a great practice no matter what your specific mental goal is. Want to be distracted less over the ball? Meditation will help you strengthen your mind to see distractions and then let them pass. Want to be able to move on from bad shots and bad holes? Who doesn't want to be able to do that? A weak mind will have a harder time with this than a strong one. Strengthening your ability to put your focus where you want it is what meditation is great for. You name your specific mental goal and meditation will most likely have a strong benefit in that area. So we know meditation can help, but how do we use meditation to help? How specifically can we use meditation? So a simple way that I've used meditation and had some of my players use meditation is just have a timer and sit in silence with your thoughts or like with some background. I use an app called Insight Timer. It's free. So that's a good start. So that takes that excuse away, and it has a simple timed meditation function and some soft background noise. So it takes away all your excuses of, but how do I do it? What can I use? I don't want to spend money, et cetera, et cetera. Just have this timer app. It's called Insight Timer, and use that. What I've done when I practice this meditation is I start at a relatively short amount of time, say 30 seconds, and I do that for my first practice. Then the next time I do it, ideally the next day, like I'm doing this once a day would be ideal, I bump it to 40 seconds. 
and then the next day 50, and then the next day a minute, and so on. And during the session, what you're doing is you're focusing on your breath or your body or just nothing. Or you're imagining some um, landscape, the beach, the golf course. You're just you're just kind of gently, um, just not really thinking on much specifically. And and you're noticing when other thoughts. What the the primary the primary practice here is you're noticing when other thoughts pop into your head, and all you do is let them pass. A great way to visualize this is every thought that comes into your head is like a cloud in the sky, and you're just watching your thoughts drift by. You're not you're not judging them. You're not judging yourself. You're not you're not trying to make them move. You're not pushing them away. You can't do any of that to a cloud. A cloud just drifts by. So you're noticing the cloud and you're letting it drift by. They come and they go. You don't get frustrated at your thoughts or at yourself. You just notice and let it drift away, gently bringing your attention back to your breath and your body. What I personally do is I imagine I'm at the beach. I love the beach. I love the sound of the ocean. And I even have used a different app that has the sound of the ocean as your background noise. So I'll I'll imagine myself at the beach, and if a thought comes in to my head like, oh, you need to record the podcast, or oh, you need to send that to one of your players, or oh, uh, you need to walk the dog, or, or whatever, that thought during this practice, during this 30 seconds, or 5 minutes, or 10 minutes, or 30 minutes, that thought is not necessary. I mean, unless it's a truly alarming emergency thought or something interrupts you that's important, it's just a cloud in the sky that you're noticing and you're letting drift by. And with that increasing amount of time that you incrementally increase every time, you can see that you're incrementally stretching your attention span and your ability to let thoughts come and go without disturbing you. This level of focus is clearly beneficial on the course. So being able to increase your ability to do this over time is going to make a huge impact of how you handle thoughts on the course and for the better. So if, if, you, want to, if you want a little more on this, uh, I did an episode called What You Can Learn from Phil Mickelson in his win at the PGA Championship of 2021. That one details some of the things Phil said he had been doing leading up to the PGA Championship that helped him stretch his uh, attention span and his ability to focus for an entire round. He used meditation to do that. He would incrementally increase his meditation time day after day, I'm assuming. He didn't really go into that detail, but he said he was incrementally increasing his time so that he was meditating for longer and longer. He was increasing his attention and focus ability. So meditation is a great way to work on your brain's ability to handle thoughts and strengthen your ability to focus. That's It's awesome at that. And you don't even have to leave your house. You can just take five minutes in the morning or 30 seconds in the morning or or you could do it morning and evening, whatever. It's it's a super flexible practice to work on your focus and your attention span and and how you handle thoughts. I'm going to be doing it this off season so that I 
I'm my brain is stronger. I it's almost like I'll be lifting weights with my brain all winter. Now, another way to work on your mind this offseason is a practice I call the range mental game exercise. This is my personal favorite one. So it goes like this. You set aside 18 golf balls from your bucket of range balls. You're on the range and you set aside 18. So as soon as you get your bucket, take out 18 balls. You're going to save those for later. Now go through your regular range session as you normally would, working on your swing or whatever your purpose for that range session is. And I should say, this is not meant for your pre-round warm-up. This is for a dedicated practice range session set apart from playing. So something most of us maybe don't even do enough of is have an actual dedicated range session regularly throughout your week. So you've gone through your range session, and now you've got your 18 balls. For all 18, you're going to be hitting to the same target. Let's say 155 yards. So you're going to go through your full pre-shot routine fresh for every ball. You're going to pick your target, which you've already done, 155 yards. You're going to trust in your own ability to hit to your target. You're going to let go. You're going to, you're going to let the ball go to your target with a quiet mind. And then you're going to accept the result. Then once you've hit the shot, you're going to chart how close the ball landed to your target. And then here's the mental game part. You're going to rate your mental game from one to five. How good did you do committing to your target on your club choice? Did you second guess your aim or your club or, or were you committed? How good did you do trusting your ability? Did you have any doubt about your swing or did you trust your swing? How good did you do letting it go to your target with a quiet mind? Did you have any random thoughts of don't do this or don't do that during your swing? Don't chunk it, don't whatever. Or was your mind quiet while you were hitting? And finally, how good did you do accepting the result? Did you judge yourself for where the ball went? Did you beat yourself up? Did you hang your head? Did you drop your club? Or did you accept it with zero judgment and move on? If you did everything to the best of your ability, then you got a five mentally for that shot. If you struggled with one or two of those, then you probably got a two, three, or four. And if you really struggled on all of the areas, then you got a one mentally. And the important thing to remember with this exercise is it's purely about your mental game, not about the physical result of the shot. You have a stat for that. You, that's, that's why you're charting how close it landed. But for mental, it's strictly how did you go, how did you do going through your pre-shot and post-shot mental routine. So the benefits you see over time with this exercise are multiple. Just at the outset, you build up a log of charted shots of how close you typically land a ball from a given yardage. This will help you decide where to aim when you have an approach shot from that yardage. If you have a 155-yard shot on the course, and you know from your range mental game exercises over time that your average proximity is, say, 31 feet from the hole, then you know you can't aim where 31 feet from your aim point will get you in trouble. You need to essentially aim no closer than 31 feet from the edge of the green on the side of the green where the pin is. There's That's some strategy stuff that having this, having done this exercise enough can actually help you do. It can help you with where you aim on your approach shots. Now the second benefit 
you see over time with this exercise is regularly going through your pre and post shot routine. Drilling this in ball after ball after ball is going to make it very natural when you're back to playing more often after the off season's over and in competitive events for you to go through a good process on the course. It's going to make it very natural for you to go through a good routine. And that's always good. So you, you don't feel out of your comfort zone when it's time to like actually go through a, a pre-shot routine. Now, the most important benefit of this exercise is training yourself to move on quickly from one shot to the next. Realizing that you have three or four minutes on the course to move on from your previous shot to the next one, but only 10 to 20 seconds between shots in this exercise is really going to train you in a much more intense environment. Because if you're not ready to hit the next one, then you won't go through a good routine on the next one. And you won't hit a good shot, and it'll be harder to accept the next result. It spirals out of control if you aren't able to accept and move on. So training this ability over and over and over in rapid succession is going to train this muscle to be much stronger in the relatively easier environment on the course. So the purpose is to make your training, make your practice more difficult so that the course feels easier. That's a way to play better under pressure, is be better in practice so that the course feels easier. You play better when things feel easier. Your skill level is higher when things feel easier. You can, the the easiest way to know that that's true is when you're playing in a tournament compared to when you're playing a casual round with your friends. You play better when it's easier, when the stakes are lower. So set the stakes really high, make practice really intense and focused and grade yourself hard so that when you get to the course, it just feels like you're in your comfort zone. It feels like you took a step down in intensity. That's ideal. And you can see how practicing meditation can actually help you get better at this exercise. If in meditation, you're training your ability to focus and let thoughts pass by without judgment, you're going to be pretty good at getting good mental scores at this exercise, and therefore good at going through a good pre- and post-shot mental routine. It all it all trickles down into the course. All of these exercises work together to help you on the course. So, as far as mental improvement goes, I think meditation and the range mental game exercises are two invaluable mental workouts that are going to train you during the off-season to be even better come spring. At the, very le- at the very least, you'll be much less rusty when you get to those first competitive rounds than you usually are. You'll have gone through your pre-shot routine hundreds of times by then. So, to recap, for fitness, I'll be using the Fit for Golf app to do off-season training, doing regular long, brisk walks, and making better nutrition decisions. For my golf skill, I will be simply spending more time on my game than I have in the past and planning my time to make better use of my practice. And for my mental game, two great exercises that I will do, I'll have, and I will have my players do. I will also get them to do these exercises. I already do. It's They're very important to what I get my players to do. And I think you should do our meditation and the range mental game exercise. And like I said at the top, these things are very individual. Your off-season plan may need to look much different. It might not need to be what mine is, but in general, if you're attacking your game from the angles of fitness, skill, and mental game, and generally doing the things that I'm doing, 
then you're going to get better and be better prepared to handle what next golf season throws at you. And I believe we've laid out a pretty good plan here. This is a pretty good rough outline, and you can fill in the details for what you specifically need. Now, some of you may want to go even further than this and actually know what will help you specifically this offseason. You can certainly learn a lot from reading and listening to things about the mental game, and I feel like this episode lays out some good stuff for starters, and the podcast in general, hopefully throughout the offseason, will be helpful for you in preparing for next season. But the best way to truly build your game is to have your specific areas of improvement addressed. So that includes swing instruction, having an actual swing instructor. That includes fitness, having someone in some form, whether it's online, like I'm doing with the Fit for Golf app, or having a trainer is super important to have your actual areas of improvement addressed. And with mental game, uh, Having someone to help you is extremely important because you have specific areas of improvement, areas of improvement that need to be addressed. So I'm a mental coach. If you'd like to know more about working one-on-one with me as your mental coach, then I want you to do this. I want you to head to my website, foundationsmp.com. That's foundationsmp, or you could Google foundations mental performance. I don't just help my players with their mental game, I help them attack their overall games. We work on how they can get better no matter what areas that falls under. So a big part of that is planning their time. I work with a lot of my players with, okay, we need to actually structure your time in a better way so that you're getting the most out of your time. So I'd love to help you with your game. If, if you feel like you need specific help on planning your time or specifically about your mental game, I want you to go check out my website. It'll be in the show notes of this episode. All right. I hope this was helpful to you. If it was, then I would love it if you shared this episode with someone who you think needs to have some sort of a plan this offseason. Even if it means that you might lose your leg up on them, share the love. You can always outwork them even if they have the same access to the same knowledge. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of The Mental Golf Show. I'm Josh Nichols, and we'll see you in the next one.